Nehemiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 4. Now the leaders of the people settled in Jerusalem. The rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of every ten of them to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while the remaining nine were to stay in their own towns. The people commended all who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. These are the provincial leaders who settled in Jerusalem. Some Israelites, priests, Levites, temple servants and descendants of Solomon's servants lived in the towns of Judah, each on their own property in the various towns, while other people from both Judah and Benjamin lived in Jerusalem. Thanks, Steve. Nice. After Zoe's reading a few weeks ago, I'm being kind to those who are coming to read to us now and not making them read the endless names which are written uh, in the chapters. But we are going to talk a little bit about those people. But why don't we come and we pray before we come around to God's words. Father God, we want to thank you for the scriptures which we've heard read today. Thank you for the richness of the Bible. Thank you, Lord, that in the bits which are easy to comprehend and those bits which are difficult, in the bits which are exciting and maybe those bits which appear a little bit boring to us at times, we thank you, Lord God, there is still rich gold in the whole of scripture there is still stuff that you teach us even in the bits which we struggle with and we pray Lord God as we begin to look at this little portion of Nehemiah chapter 11 today Lord that we will hear your voice that you will speak to us that you'll encourage us that you will spur us on that Lord God in the midst of it all we will know you're leading and guiding have your way we pray in Jesus name amen Well, we're fastly approaching the end of this book, Nehemiah. We've reached chapter 11 up to today and this remarkable account of this story. I don't know about you, but preaching through this particular message over the course of the past few weeks, I have certainly really been challenged as we've opened up this scripture together. Challenged once again to align my heart with God. Challenged to be a person who gets my hands dirty in the rebuilding process. Challenged to keep going even in the face of opposition. Challenged to repent and turn back to God where I have wandered off. Challenged to commit myself to his will and his ways above everything else. And as we open up chapter 11 together today, it's once again very easy to glance over this particular chapter of scripture because we are faced with an endless amount of names, another list of names. And these aren't just any names that we're talking about. We're not talking about Bob, Sally, John or Jeff. These are names that when we read them, they're really, really hard to pronounce. We can't get our tongues around them. And not only are they hard to pronounce, the people who are listed here are also unknown to us as well. They came, they played their part, they did their bit, they did what God was calling them to, and then they went. We don't know exactly what they did a lot of the time from this particular list of names in Nehemiah chapter 11, but here's the thing God does. And that, for me anyway, gives me so much comfort. That tells me that really whatever we do in our lives, nothing is wasted. That 
people might not recognize our contribution at times. People might not see what we do, but God does. And God calls us into partnership with him to play our part whilst we are here in this moment to do what we are called to do. You know, we're not called to be famous. We're called to be faithful. And when we're faithful... God promises to give us a reward which is only found in him. You see, the rewards that the world offer, they're rewards which will eventually rust, spoil, and fail. But the reward that God offers us is a reward which ultimately lasts for all of eternity. But before we dive into this particular passage today, I think it's important that we understand a little bit of the context of what we're reading. And the context for this particular passage is found in a few chapters earlier in Nehemiah chapter 7. And we read this in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 7. After the wall had been rebuilt... And after I had set the doors in place, the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites were appointed. I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hanani, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most men do. What we see from this passage that we heard and we looked together a few weeks ago is that the wall had been rebuilt. And the temple had also been rebuilt, but something was ultimately missing. People missing. If we were to carry on in chapter 7, we read these words. Now the city was large and spacious, but there, was a, there were few people in it. And houses had not yet been rebuilt. Everything was in place for the city of Jerusalem to be great again and to thrive, but the people weren't there. You see, the thing is, building a house in Jerusalem wasn't an easy task. The city had been completely and utterly destroyed 160 years before. Everything had been demolished. So before houses could be rebuilt, before the city could actually be what it was supposed to be again, there was a heck of a lot of rubble which needed to be cleared out the way. That was going to take time. That was going to take effort. That was going to take a lot of hard work. And some people looked at it and simply saw, this is going to be too much trouble to do. I am going to stay where I am. I'm quite comfortable where I am, so I'm not going to move. Also, a city which has been left open for 160 years and has had no one to control its internal affairs can be left open to all kinds of troublemakers. It was potentially a dangerous place. And as a result, people who had got comfortable in the suburbs decided, actually, no, it's just not worth uprooting everything I know, uprooting my family, uprooting from my friends and going to live in a city which is potentially dangerous. Why would I want to put myself in such a difficult situation? The reality is there weren't many people in Jerusalem at the time because people had just simply gotten comfortable where they were at in their new surroundings. And it had been that way for years. But then Nehemiah turns up and he comes along and he says, we're going to rebuild the walls and rebuild the temple and get Jerusalem to where it is supposed to be again. And people were still comfortable. It's important, though, that people were going to follow Nehemiah and move back to Jerusalem. But notice what we read here in Nehemiah chapter 11, verse 1. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of every ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while the remaining nine were to stay in their own towns. 
Can you see what's happening here? The people knew and they understood that Jerusalem needed to be rebuilt. You see, it was their capital. It spoke of their unity with God. It reminded them of their covenant with God. And it was when Jerusalem was strong and secure that people began to feel strong and secure. They wanted Jerusalem to be rebuilt. But who would really want to leave their nice, comfortable surroundings and up sticks and move to a land which was going to be less comfortable for them? The answer is probably nobody. So what happens is they cast lots. And every tenth family that the lot fell on was picked and they had to move back to Jerusalem. But now notice verse 2 of Nehemiah chapter 11. We read these words, the people commended all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. The word volunteer is an interesting word, isn't it? We hear it banded about church every single day, every single week. But the word volunteer here in Hebrew meant to incite from within. It meant to have a tremendous urge from within to do something about the situation. What we see really is eventually two groups of people end up moving back to Jerusalem. Group one, they had to move back because the lot had fallen upon them. And as the lot had fallen upon them, they had no choice. They had to leave where they were living, leave their comfortableness and move back to Jerusalem in order to make it safe and secure and sound and strong again. But group two are people who say, I don't have to move back. I am quite comfortable where I am, but I am going to do it anyway because I love Jerusalem, I love God, and I am willing to sacrifice my comfort in order to see Jerusalem be what it should be and was always meant to be. They were willing to go and they were willing to clear the rubble off their own backs. They were willing to go and get their hands dirty in order for Jerusalem to be put into its rightful place. And that got me thinking, I wonder how often we sacrifice God's call for our comfort. Have we allowed ourselves, I wonder, to get comfortable and complacent as the church of Jesus Christ over years and years and years? So when God says, I'm going to move now in a different way, I'm doing a new thing, ultimately we go, no, 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 no. I'm quite comfortable, God, in my surroundings. I like my church. I like my community. I don't want anything to change. Keep things as it is. Thank you very much. And you can work in our boundaries, not the other way around. I'm not suggesting this is why coronavirus has come around, but I wonder if God is using this time and this season we're in in order to shake us up and to shake us out of our comfort zones, in order to say, okay, we, are, we can no longer be how we always were, but now, God, now things are different, now things have changed, we are willing and we are ready to do what you are calling us to do. And maybe, I think about that, that worries you and that frightens you and you start to think to yourself what on earth are we going to be like in a post-coronavirus world what on earth am I going to be called to do in a post-coronavirus world because let me tell you church there will be a day where we are post-coronavirus there will be a day where the world starts to move on in a bit more of a normal kind of rhythm again but I don't believe that means the church going back to what 
it was pre-coronavirus. I don't believe God is just going to say, great, start everything up and act as if nothing ever happens. We can crack on now and get on with what we always did. I believe truly and utterly that God is saying to us as a church and to the church of Jesus Christ as a whole, it's time to change. It's time to embrace a new season. It's time to do what I'm calling you to do right now. Don't settle for comfort in the suburbs. Settle for an uncomfortable way of life, but a way of life which is going to command a blessing. You see, God's blessing is not found in a comfort zone, but it's found in obedience. Let me say that again, because we all need to hear that, including myself this morning. Let that sink into your heart this morning. God's blessing is not found in a comfort zone, but it's found in obedience. God's blessing won't be found in going back and doing things as we always did them. But it's found in saying, God, how are you calling us to build in this new season? What do I mean when I talk about comfort zones? Well, the all-knowledgeable source, which is Wikipedia, describes a comfort zone like this. The comfort zone is a psychological state in which a person feels familiar, at ease, in control, and experiences low anxiety and stress. In the comfort zone, a steady level of performance is possible. It goes on to say that the comfort zone is a place where uncertainty, scarcity, and vulnerability are minimized, where we'll believe we have enough access to love, food, talent, time, admiration, where we feel we have some control. Do you see that? The comfort zone is in direct opposition to God's will and his plans for our life. The comfort zone is a place where we think, I've got enough of everything. I don't have to worry about everything. Everything is going to be okay. There's going to be no stress. There's going to be no issues. We can just enjoy life. Whereas Jesus says these words in Matthew chapter 8, verses 25 to 27. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. Do not worry about your body or what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds in the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can anyone of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Jesus is saying, don't worry, not because you're in a comfort zone, not because you think you have enough of everything, but don't worry because the God of heaven is on your side. And when things look uncomfortable from an earthly perspective, when maybe money appears like it's drying up, when people ridicule you for your beliefs, when your job isn't as secure as you once thought it was, when the resources don't appear to be there, don't worry. Because the God that we worship owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and he is the one who is in your corner and has your best interests at heart. The comfort zone says a steady level of performance is possible. I don't ever recall Jesus saying, I have come to give you life and a steady level of performance. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life in all its fullness. Jesus has more of life than we could ever possibly imagine for us to experience. I don't want a steady level of performance. I want this church and as a result, this city to be radically transformed. And my hope and my prayer is that is your heart too. And if it is, the question that we have to ask today is how 
on an individual level and as a church, do we become a people who live outside of the comfort zone? And to do that, I want to touch on another story from Scripture this morning. It's a story found in the Gospels, in particular in Matthew chapter 14. I won't read it out this morning, but I want to encourage you to read this in your own time. Be like the Bereans that we read about in the book of Acts, who heard the word of God spoken and then went and checked it out for themselves. But it's a story of Peter walking on water. You know, I love Peter. In many respects, and I can identify a lot with Peter. Peter is a guy who sometimes acts first and thinks later. Peter is a guy who has the tendency to shoot from the mouth uh, and not necessarily engage his brain with what he is saying when sometimes maybe just going a little bit slower he might have phrased things differently. Peter is a guy who knew failure. He's the one you remember who said to Jesus, Jesus, even if everyone else deserts you, I'll never ever leave you. In fact, I'll go and I'll die with you. And yet, The night before Jesus was crucified, Peter's there warming himself by a charcoal fire and he calls down curses upon himself, stating that he'd never even met Jesus. And yet, despite all of this, God uses Peter in some incredibly extraordinary ways. And we pick up the scene of this story of Peter walking on the water, which comes after the story of the feeding of the 5,000. The day had been long. It had been strenuous for the disciples. Their original intention was not to spend a, a night away from home, but to withdraw to a lonely place so they could reflect on everything that had happened. But Jesus ends up teaching this huge crowd who come out to meet him. There wasn't a place for this crowd to sleep, so Jesus sends them on their way and he sends the disciples on a boat to the other side of the lake and he tells them that he's going to catch them up later. The crowd leave, the disciples depart, Jesus is finally alone with his father, the disciples, they're sailing. And as they're sailing and they're on this boat, the wind starts to pick up. The waves get choppy. The rain lashes down. The boat begins to get tossed from side to side and they find themselves battling against the elements just trying to stay afloat. When all of a sudden, in the distance, they look and they see what appears like a figure in the distance walking through the midst of the storm on the water. And as They look, they start to think to themselves, that can't be a person, can it? And they look a little bit closer and they realize that this figure is not simply a figment of their imaginations, but it is the figure of a person and they start to get scared. I mean, really scared. No one can walk on water. This must be a ghost. But then they hear the reassuring words of Jesus. Take courage. It's I. Do not be afraid. And there are two responses that come from the boat that night. The first response is the response of the majority. We're not specifically told what the response of the majority is, but none of them moved. So I'm guessing the response of the majority that night was, oh, thank goodness for that. It's not a ghost. It's Jesus. We've been in a boat with Jesus in the midst of a storm before, and we know he has the power to change things. We can now relax because we know everything is going to be okay. And in a few moments, Jesus will get on the boat and he'll make us comfortable again. The other response is the response of Peter. And that was Lord's. If it's really you, command me to step out onto the waters and I'll do it. 
Hold up a minute. It's one thing for Jesus to walk on water. That I can kind of get my head around to an extent. I mean, after all, he is God and he's got the ability to control the elements and to change things because that is who he is. And the Gospels show us that he does the impossible time and time again. But Peter, Peter is just a man. And yet here he is saying to Jesus, hey, Jesus, I know there's a storm and I know things are choppy right now. And I know there might be a risk that I'll die if I do this. But if it's you, command me to come out onto the waters and I'll do it. And Peter, after hearing the voice of Jesus steps out of the boat. Why was the response of Peter so different to the response of the rest of the disciples? Peter was able to look past what was impossible and look to a God in whom all things are possible. That is the essence of living outside the comfort zone. Yes, at times it feels hard. Yes, at times it feels like this is an impossible dream. Yes, at times it looks like the goal is unachievable. But the God that we worship is the God of the impossible. Do you believe that I wonder, church, this morning? Do you believe that the God that we worship is the God of the impossible? I believe that for us as a church, God wants to use us in ways we can't even fathom. I believe that God wants to give you breakthrough in your own life. I believe that God wants you to be free from the bondage that has kept you bound for so, so long, from the past and the hurts, and help you experience life in all its fullness in Jesus. But it has to come outside of the comfort zone. So what does this passage and the passage of Nehemiah teach us about living outside of the comfort zone? First and foremost, if we're going to be a people who live outside of the comfort zone, we have to be a people who dispel disillusionment. When the disciples, including Peter, first saw Jesus walking on the water, they thought he was a ghost and they were afraid. You see, what the disciples effectively start to do in their own minds is they start to fill in the blanks. They see a figure and they think to themselves, that must be a ghost. It's the only possible explanation. And what does their fear do? It initially drives them to inactivity. How do they overcome their disillusionment? By listening to the voice of the master. You know... There will be times in your life where the enemy will try to make you afraid and make you disillusioned. Because the moment he is able to do that, you are paralyzed. Don't believe me? I wonder how many people are feeling disillusioned right now because of the season that we're in, because of where we have been over the past few months. You're just feeling down and you're just feeling maybe a little bit cynical and you're just feeling like this isn't worth it. And if you are... I wonder how many people who are feeling disillusioned right now have been driven to inactivity, that they've been driven to turning their computers off and not engaging, that they've been driven just to sitting down and just accepting this is it, this is how it's going to be right now, nothing's ever going to be the same again, so I'm not going to bother. People don't care about me. I'm filling in the blanks. People don't care about me. People have forgotten about me in this season. Things are going the way I don't want them to go right now. So you know what? I'm done. 
I wonder if there's anyone who's done that over this season. You see, disillusionment drives us to inactivity. Disillusionment drives us to be paralyzed. The devil will always taunt us. The devil will always say things like, why are you doing that? Why are you even thinking about that? You haven't got the skill to be involved in that. We've all had those thoughts at times. And the moment we allow those thoughts to dominate, it's the moment we become inactive and we become ineffective. The way Peter's fears were overcome was by listening to the voice of Jesus. How do we listen to the voice of Jesus? It only comes with spending time with him. How can you know anyone's voice unless you're in touch with them? What's your relationship, I wonder, first and foremost like with Jesus today? What is Jesus saying to you about this season? What is Jesus saying to you about his church? What is Jesus saying to you about what is going on in the world right now? If the answer to that question is, I don't really know, your first port of call today is to come into the presence of the master, come into the presence of Jesus and say, here I am, Lord, your servant is listening. Are you walking close to him today? Are you hearing his voice regularly? Or does he feel a million miles away? I want to say today, don't miss out, but open your heart. Peter's fear was dissolved when he heard the master's voice. If we as a church and we as individuals are going to be a people who live outside the comfort zone, we can only do that in close proximity to the master. Number two, how do we live outside the comfort zone? In order to live outside the comfort zone, we need to be a people who defeat distractions. Peter leaves the boat and the most incredible sensation is therefore afforded to Peter. He starts to walk on water, something which he should never, ever have been able to do. His weight should have taken him under the water. And he takes a few steps, keeping his eyes firmly fixed upon Jesus the whole time. But after a few moments, he feels that the wind is at his face. He sees how choppy the waves are. He sees the situation for how it really is are diverted from Jesus to the elements, to his surroundings. And what happens? Fear returns and he begins to sink. Peter got distracted by the obvious stuff, the booms of thunder, the cracks of lightning, the wind and the waves. When we begin to step out in faith for Jesus, the enemy doesn't like it and he'll often try to distract our gaze because the moment our eyes are taken off of Jesus, it's the moment we begin to fail. When we choose to focus on the problems rather than the problem solver, rather than the power, we sacrifice our connection with Jesus. What are the things, I wonder, which are distracting you right now from being all who Jesus is calling you to be? Maybe it is your bank balance or your work situation. Maybe it is a significant worry about the future. Maybe it's a longing for how things once were. We're pining for what we have lost up until this point. And as a result, we're not seeing what God is doing right now. How do we overcome those distractions? Well, we overcome those distractions in the same way Jesus overcome those distractions. We read in Luke 9, 51, and it's a verse that I've touched on before, but Jesus resolutely set his face towards Jerusalem. He knew the task that he was called to. He knew that he was going to go to the cross for the sake of the world, that we might be free of our sin, and he was determined to do it. Jesus' whole life had led up to that particular moment. 
Had he not died at the age of 33, you could argue, well, he could have stayed on earth a bit longer. He could have healed more people. He could have helped more people. And from a human perspective, that temptation for Jesus must have been there. We read in scripture, he was tempted in every way. But Jesus knew the mission that he came to do. And simply, it wasn't just to make things easier in an earthly sense, but to die for people that they could know ultimate freedom. And with that in mind, he sets his face onto his mission and onto what he is called to. Living outside the comfort zone means doing exactly the same. We need to be a people who set our face not towards Jerusalem, but towards Jesus. And when the wind and the waves hit, when the task that we're called to seems impossible, when the task that we're called to feels uncertain, we will declare as a people that greater is he who is living in me than he that is in the world. What are the distractions at the moment which are distracting you, I wonder, from what Jesus is calling you to do? Number three, to live outside the comfort zone means to destroy doubt. After this amazing episode, Jesus and Peter, they get back into the boat. And as I alluded to earlier, it wasn't the first time that they've been in a boat with Jesus in the midst of a storm. We could look back earlier in the Gospels and we see another story where the disciples are out in a boat, Jesus is at the back asleep and the wind and the waves come up. They wake Jesus up and he goes to the front of the boat and he stands there and he says to the wind and to the waves, be still and everything goes calm. And the response of the disciples that time was to say, who is this man? who even the winds and the waves obey him. But the response here in Matthew chapter 14 is that the disciples declare, truly you are the son of God. Before this encounter, Jesus was just an amazing man in their eyes. But something shifts in the disciples' perspective and their understanding. And at this moment on, they see Jesus for who he really is. Our issue is often we try to deal with the situations that we face in our own strength, don't we? I know that is very true for me. I know it's been true for me over a number of times over these past few months. We just try to get on with it. We want to be at the wheel. We want to make sure we know how things are happening. We don't see Jesus for who he really is. And we try to therefore navigate the storms of life on our own, with our own intellect and our own skills and our own resources and our own abilities. And what that ultimately shows is huge doubts in what we think God is capable of. And one of the reasons I think we doubt so much at times is often we're scared that Jesus may fail us. What if I step out of my comfort zone and Jesus doesn't come through for me? You know, Jesus may not do things in the way that you expected them to be done, but one thing is for sure. When we put our trust in him, he will never let us down. You know, it's often only afterwards we see that to be the case. I have looked at many issues and instances in my life. And when I've been going through them, often my call has been, God, where are you in the midst of this? But it's when I'm through and on the other side, I can see how God has been faithful in every situation. You know, he might not have done things in the way that I expected them to be done, but actually he's done them for the best of my interests and for him to get the glory. And as a result, I can testify that God has always been faithful to me. He has always brought me through. And when we truly put our trust in him, it doesn't matter how loud the storm sounds or how big the waves are, because God is in control. Are you struggling to trust Jesus today? 
What are the things which are getting in the way? What are the things which are distracting you? It's the distractions which rob us of the greatest blessing and cause us to doubt. Had Peter kept his eyes on Jesus, he wouldn't have sunk. And had the disciples put the distractions that they had in the first place, they too would have experienced the blessing of walking on water. Living outside the comfort zone is an uneasy place to be, but it is the place of the greatest blessing. And today I believe God is calling us individually and as a community of God's people together walking this journey to put a deeper trust in him and to be willing to step outside of the comfort zone. Coming back to our original text, the people were presented with a choice. They could stay and they could enjoy the suburbs and the comfort that they always knew. And some did. Some went back because they were drafted. But it's that second group of people I want us to focus on for a little bit this morning. A group of people said, I don't have to do this, but I'm going to. I don't have to leave my nice, comfortable, suburban house, but I'm going to. I'm going to get my hands dirty. I'm going to clear the rubble. I'm going to build the house. And as a result, Jerusalem is going to be built up. God is saying to us today, are you willing? Are you ready? Are you prepared to step outside of your comfort zone? Are you prepared to get your hands dirty? Even at times, it might feel backbreaking. Are you prepared to clear the rubble? Even at times, it would have been easy just to stay where we were. Because outside of the comfort zone, that's where the greatest blessing is. And the reality is, Jesus stepped outside the comfort zone for you and for me. He left his throne in glory. He made himself of no reputation. He took on the form of a servant. He didn't do that because he was drafted. He did that because he was willing. He was willing to come and get his hands dirty in the muck and the squalor of this world. He was willing to come and get his hands dirty in order to clear the sin from our life by dying on the cross. He was willing to come and get his hands dirty in order that we might know freedom and know God for who he really is. Are we, as a people, willing to say, God, whatever the cost, whatever you're calling me to, however uncomfortable or uncertain I may feel about it, today I choose to say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. We worship a good God, don't we? We talk about the fact that God has our best interests at heart. And last week, if you remember, as we came to a time of reflection and a time of worship and a time of response, I, I, I used a picture of a father who put his kid up against, maybe up against the wall and said, come and walk to me. And the kid took two steps and then fell down and the father picked him back up. I want to use a similar analogy today I remember when my kids were very little and we would go over the park with them and particularly with the boys, they would climb up to the top of a climbing frame at times and they would stand maybe on the edge and I would stand at the bottom of the climbing frame and I'd hold my arms up and I'd say to them, come on, come on, jump, jump. 
And everything inside of them wanted to jump. You could tell they were thinking about it, and they would look down, and they'd look at me. But so often they were paralyzed by fear. And they'd stay there for a few minutes, and I'd still be there with my arms open and saying, jump, jump, come on, you can do it, you can do it, I'm going to catch you, nothing's going to happen. You're going to enjoy it, it's going to be fun, you're going to experience the thrill of jumping. And sometimes, the fear would overcome them so much that they'd say, no, 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 no. I'm just going to climb back down the way I came. By climbing back down the way they came, they were safe. But by jumping, they would have experienced the joy and the thrill of falling into their father's arms, who was never going to let them down, who was always going to catch them. They would have experienced something which they ultimately missed out on in those moments. And you know, we talk about stepping out in faith as church a lot, don't we? And we talk about things like this a lot. And sometimes, for us, as believers, what happens is we climb up to the top of the climbing frame and we get to the edge. And we go, right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to jump. I'm going to do it. And God's standing there saying, come on then. Come on then. I'm going to catch you. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And we look down and we look at the drop and we say, whoa, I didn't realize it was going to be like that. And we stay there for a couple of minutes and we start to think to ourselves, shall I do it? Shall I do it? Shall I do it? And eventually we talk ourselves out of it. And we just take a step back. And we just take a step back. And we just take a step back. And we stick with the comfortableness. Let us not be a people who are willing not to jump. Let us be a people who are today saying, God, whatever it takes, I'm going to fall into your arms. We're going to sing a song which is familiar to us. There must be more than this. You know, church, there is more. Even in these times and even in these seasons, there is more than we have experienced, that we can experience. And I want to encourage you to use this song, wherever you're watching this from right now, as a prayer. Cry these words out to God this morning. God, there must be more than this. Consuming fire, fan into flame, a passion for your name. Father God, wherever we're watching this from right now, however we're feeling. We pray that this might be our reality today, that we'll step outside of the comfort zone. Lord, I want to pray for people who might be feeling disillusioned right now. Lord, may that disillusion be dispelled today in Jesus' name. May people once again cast and catch a glimpse of who you are. Lord, for those who are doubting today, Doubting where you are at and what you're doing. Lord, may they get a reassurance of what you're doing today. May they know your Holy Spirit in their homes like maybe they never have before. And Lord, for those who feel like they've been distracted over this season. May this be a day where we take our eyes off the distractions. Our eyes off the wind and the waves. And we focus on you again. There must be more than this, Lord. We realize that and we believe it. Lord, let your glory fall today. In Jesus' name. Amen.